Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel as recorded for us by Matthew and the 27th chapter. I'll be reading there from verse 45 to 54, and then we'll move over to chapter 28 and read the first seven verses of chapter 28. Matthew chapter 27, and we'll begin with verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one ran, of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come down to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghosts. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And now go over to chapter 28. <coughs> Excuse me. The first verse of chapter 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the Quaker, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. Let us bow for prayer. It is very important. It is our habit. But it is very important that we bow for prayer before we open the word of God to expound it. For this book is not understood by human wisdom, 
nor is it rightly divided because I have spent some time studying it. But rather, this word is understood and rightly divided, expounded, as the Spirit of God leads our hearts and minds and directs us. And I think each of us have been in a service before where we have been massively blessed by the Word of God, and it had nothing to do with what any man was saying at the moment. And that is what we seek. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we have the Word of God before us. We thank you that it has been preserved, Lord. We, we, we saw in Sunday school this morning, Satan has, has tried through the centuries to pollute the word of God, to dilute the word of God, to extract from it the truth of God. Father, we thank you that it is forever settled in heaven. We thank you that you have kept them, O Lord. Father, this morning, we pray that as we open your word together, that the Spirit of God would indeed be the exegete. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would grant to me that my tongue may speak clearly, that my thoughts may be uh, organized, and yet, Father, we recognize and joyfully acknowledge that the preaching of the gospel, the power of the word, is not with excellency of man's speech, but it's in that which your Spirit teaches. And so, Father, may the Spirit of God teach us thy truth in the word of God this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to look at the things that were rent this morning. We're going to see the rent veil. We're going to see the rent rocks. We're going to see the rent hearts. We're going to see the rent tomb. But by way of introduction, I would like us to consider briefly the death of Jesus Christ. And I have a rather dramatic statement to make, I guess you could say. Um, sort of a tricky way to put it. And my wife is looking at me because I mentioned it to her, and she said, what? <laughs> Jesus Christ did not die of crucifixion. Jesus Christ did not die of crucifixion. Roman soldiers didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. Satan certainly didn't kill him. Satan tried before the cross, but as we saw from the confession this morning, when he got to the cross, it was too late for Satan to try to kill him there. He gave his life. He gave his life a ransom for many. And I would point you to that 50th verse of chapter 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Have any of you ever been present when someone died? If you're going to hear their last words, you're going to have to lean in close. Because the strength of the body is gone, it is failing, and they may be able to whisper or mumble out something, but they don't shout. They don't yell. But here we find at the moment of Christ's death, he shouts, and it is a loud voice of full power. 
It is not the voice of a man whose body has reached its extremity and he's ready to die, in spite of the fact that his body has reached its extremity and is ready to die. He could have stayed in that body on the cross for centuries. You see, I am alive today because he keeps my soul in life. I am alive today because he upholds all things by the word of his power. And he, being God and not being under the curse of Adam, could have sustained that body forever. But he didn't come for that purpose, did he? He came to die. He came to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, he brought people back from the dead. And he would rise himself. That word, loud voice, and it's, it's so exciting to follow some of these words and see how, how else they're used in Scripture. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And the word great there is the same word loud. <laughs> oh, the angel didn't say, oh, I'm going to tell you something special. No, the angel says, these are good tidings of great joy. The angels shouted out the news. Well, that's the word that's used here. It's the word megas. We get our word mega from this word loud or great. It's mega. It's megas. And then again, when the wise men saw the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Same the word. And again, uh, much pe the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And again, um, at the end times, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And the chief priests, I love this, the chief priests, and when they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. They weren't saying, crucify him, crucify him. They were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. You see, Christ, though he is at the moment of death and ready to die, he was doing this of his own will and of his Father's will. John 10 as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I had the power to lay it down, and the power to take it again. You see, there had never been a willing sacrifice before. No lamb walked to the sacrifice and willingly went to that sacrifice. No bullock was brought to the sacrifice and willingly went to that sacrifice. I, I wonder about Abraham and Isaac on the mountain because Isaac there is a type of Christ, but we do find that Abraham even bound Isaac there. I, I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. But there had never been a willing sacrifice before. Any animal will fight for its life. But 
But here the Lamb of God is the first and only willing sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, we find that he hath poured out his soul unto death. He's poured out his soul unto death. Pilate, in Mark 15, marveled that he was already dead. Think about this. Pilate certainly has sentenced more than a few criminals to execution by crucifixion. Pilate is the magistrate. He's going to have to give the official report. Pilate is going to have to make an official king's record, if you will, chronicles of the king, as to what happened at his execution. And you have the chief priest saying, let's break his legs because we don't want his body to stay on the cross through the Sabbath. And... Pilate, who's in charge, sends to the centurion and says, is he really dead? The centurion's his officer, and he's got to confirm this because Pilate's got to make a record. And you see, most people on a cross would have lived on that cross for two days, three days. There's even some historical accounts of people that may have survived as much as a week. It was a long and gruesome death. Jesus was on the cross six hours. He was on the cross six hours. And we know he still has a large degree of physical strength because he cries with a loud voice. No man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. Again, And so with that introduction, just considering the death of Christ itself, let us look, first of all, at this rent veil. Look with me at verses 50 and 51 of Matthew 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Why is this significant? Well, what was the purpose of the veil? The veil of the temple separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies. Um, historians tell us there was two veils. and Actually, we're going to see in Hebrews that there were two veils. But one was just sort of the entrance. The first veil was the outer sanctuary. That's where the candlestick was. That's where the altar of incense was. That's where the table of showbread was. But then there was an inner court. And that inner court was the Holy of Holies, and the veil separated between man and God. In Leviticus 16 and verse 2, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I... Jehovah speaking, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. And so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm having a turn there because I'm going to read, uh, interspersing some comments, a, a, a section of verses there. Hebrews chapter 9, I'll give you a moment to find it. And verse 6, concerning the rending of the veil. Hebrews 9, verse 6, Now, 
When these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. In other words, they went into the table of showbread. They went into the golden candlestick. They made sure the oil was in the lamps. They made sure the incense was always burning. They went in there uh, every day. Verse 7, But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So through this second veil went the priest once a year. He went in by himself. He didn't have an assistant. And he did not dare go in without blood. And that blood he first had to offer for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Verse 8. The Holy Ghost, thus, or this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. We're going to eat later on. But not yet. What's that tell us? Well, there's something else coming. There's going to be a change in our status. At the moment, we're all seated here. But later today, we will go into the kitchen and we will get food. And when we come out, we won't be seated here because we respect Angela's carpet and sofa. <laughs> right? There's something going to be different later in the day. Now, we find here in this picture of the Old Testament tabernacle that it was like this before, but because it was like this, it's showing us it's not yet. There's something different to come. There is a dramatic change in status and position that is to come. Continuing in verse 8. Was not yet made manifest. That word manifest is the same word that was used by Christ on the uh, used in the description of Christ on the road to Emmaus when they didn't see him he was not yet made manifest it's the same same term that's used there uh, that we find here in Hebrews while the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure for the time then present okay another indication of future in which were offerings both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. What was the thing we saw about the priest when he went in once with a year, not without blood? That he offered first for his own sins and for the heirs of the people. But here in the first context, we find that, that could not make him perfect. Why not? Well, it was the blood of an animal. And because it would not make him perfect, could not make him perfect, he had to do it again next year. And he had to do it again next year. And eventually, that high priest would retire from his office, and another would take his position. And he, for the next 30 years, would go in year after year after year. But friends, there's something better coming. Verse 9, time then present. Verse 10. 
Oh, it's a reverse nine again, which, uh, which was a figure, a type, a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances. That doesn't mean wicked ordinances, but uh, ordinances of the flesh, ordinances carried out by human men, by men, carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but Christ. Isn't that a glorious sermon? Two-word sermon, but Christ. What aspect of your life cannot be preached in those two words? But Christ. If I can only say one thing, may it be, but Christ. I'm a sinner but Christ. I deserve hell, but Christ. I've gained all the world, but Christ. But Christ. That's the sermon, but Christ. These priests went in year after year after year till they retired or died, and another one had to come and replace him, and went in year after year after year until they retired or died. They went in with the blood, but the blood was ineffective. The blood was insufficient. The blood could not do the job. But there was something better coming. But Christ. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And my friends, when he went in, he broke down the door. Because you see, that veil of the temple was not there to keep God in. It was there to keep me out. And that's why the priest went in and scripture emphasizes alone. He didn't take a helper. Only one sinner was allowed in at a time. And that sinner was only allowed in once a year. And that sinner carried in the blood of a sacrifice. And that sinner had to first sacrifice for his own sins. And then that sinner had to sacrifice, had to spread the sin through the blood for the sins of the people. But Jesus entered once and broke down the door when he went in. The veil was rent from top to bottom. He was not a sinner going in. He was the sinless going in. And he did not take ineffective, insufficient blood like the priest before him. He went in with his own sinless blood. And he need not go in again because he only had to answer once. The holy priest entered once a year. Christ entered once for all. 
and the veil of the temple was rent. The veil that separated me from the Holy of Holies. The veil that was not there to keep God out in because God dwelt in the mercy seat, but the veil that was there to keep me out was torn from heaven to earth. And the way was opened into the holiness. The rending of the veil was the entrance of the elect Jews into the Holy of Holies. But the rending of the veil was also the entrance of the elect Gentiles into the Holy of Holies. For Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition and has made of twain one new man in Christ. And so through the rending of the veil, the entire form of worship is changed forever. We do not come this morning and sacrifice a lamb because the blood has been shed. And not to go too far aside from our consideration this morning, there is much talk of people and speculation about a new temple in Jerusalem. But what would they do there? Its purpose would have to be for the sacrifice. But there's no purpose in the sacrifice. There is a new temple to come. But it's a temple without a veil. It's a heavenly temple where we will dwell in direct fellowship and communion with God. For the sacrifice has been made. And so God dwelt within the veil. And when Christ died, when his flesh was rent, he entered in through the veil. And Hebrews 10 talks about through the veil of his flesh, that comparison there. He entered in through the rent veil, torn from top to bottom. And we follow in his train. And so the first rending we find in this glorious story of the death and resurrection of Christ is the rending of the veil. But then we find in verse 51 of Matthew 27, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Did you ever see a rock explode? Rocks will explode. Um, Especially rocks that have formed by volcanic uh, action. Oftentimes a volcanic rock will have air pockets within it. And if you take a piece of hardened lava and you place it into a fire, that air within that rock will begin to expand and sometimes the rock will just blow up. Uh, it's a it's an old campfire trick that people play sometimes and along the, the shore in places where there's been volcanic action. And sometimes that volcanic rock where you see pictures in uh, Hawaii sometimes of, of volcanoes that are underwater where the, the earth is cracked under the water, the lava is coming up and it's red and the water is boiling and then, then it begins to harden right away. Sometimes those lava rocks will actually have a bit of moisture in that pocket. And those will really blow and explode. When we were in Jamaica, we used to take pieces of bamboo about 
six inches in diameter and put it in the campfire and it would blow out the cylinders in between the, 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 this vision of boom, sound like a cannon. The rocks were in them. But that's not what happened here. This was not a natural phenomenon. This was not putting a rock in a fire for the excitement of it exploding like that. Two weeks ago, we considered Psalm 114, and we saw that the mountains skipped and the little hills danced as the children of Israel went through the wilderness. What ailed thee, O sea, that thou fleddest back? And what was it we saw in Psalm 114 that caused nature to skip and the ocean to flee, the seas to flee? It was the presence of Jehovah. Here, the very Son of God yields up the ghost, willingly dies on the cross, and the response of the rocks was just like that rock that is put into a fire. The rocks just blow apart. They're rent. They are split at that which is occurring. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died. For man, the creature sinned. Where did those rocks come from that rent? Well, I assure you it was the bang billions of years ago. There was a bang that day. But he created them. And you see, these rocks that rent at the crucifixion would obey his voice. He could have said, be a stone, and that rock would have been a stone. And just a week prior, when Christ is coming in to the city in his triumphal entry, and the children are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king of David, blesses he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees and scribes say, tell them to be quiet. And he says, if they're quiet, the rocks, they'll cry out. And he proved the point. Because when he died, the rocks had a voice. You see the mighty power of what's happening here. The incredible, but not incredible. We use that term incredible and it is not the right term to use. The marvelous, spectacular thing that has happened it's beyond imagination. The creator dies. The giver of life dies. The one who breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living soul, he dies. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's death? Oh, may it thrill our souls. Here you have the disobedient and rebellious scribes, the disobedient and rebellious Pharisees, the disobedient and rebellious priests, the disobedient and rebellious and mocking Jews. They don't have a clue what's going on. But the rocks do. The rocks understand without understanding the magnitude of that which is taking place. The rocks rent. But there's more here. 
You see, I had a heart of stone. I had a heart that could not believe. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. My heart of stone was not seeking after God. My heart of stone had no interest in him. But when he died, my heart of stone was rent to flesh. And I believed. And there's yet more. For Christ was discussing with his disciples, and he said, Who do men say that I am? And thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ declared, Upon this rock I will build my church. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross and the rocks rent, he's become the chief cornerstone, the head of the corner. The rocks rent at the death of Christ. And so we find that the veil was rent and the rocks were rent. But then we find also that at the death of Christ, the graves were rent. Look with me at verse 27, or, or chapter 27, verses 52 and 53. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to many. Do you ever see an open grave? Well, I'm sure most of us have stood beside a grave where someone is about to be buried. But have you ever seen one that's been opened? I know some of you have, have seen the tomb, which is supposed to be the tomb where Christ was buried. We can't really prove that that was the actual tomb. Probably was, but then again, there's an awful lot in, in uh, Holy Land, Holy Land. Uh, that has been commercialized. In Jamaica, there was a large sarcophagus that was near a community center where we had a Bible club uh, for many years. And it was open. It was made of brick, and the top of it was starting to fall down. It had been grave robbed. They had broken into it and thrown the bodies out and taken the coffins because the coffins were of a wealthy family that had lived there a hundred years before and the coffins were lead and someone had stolen the coffins for the value of the scrap lead uh, that the bodies had been buried in it was an open open grave open tomb but here these graves weren't supposed to be opened these graves were rent open and we find that many bodies remember six days ago when people were coming because they heard Lazarus was alive and the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus to, to hide the evidence. Now they've got a problem. They're like ants. You can't kill them all. The Pharisees have a major problem on their hands. There's dead people everywhere. Many of them. And it gets worse yet. Because it wasn't just a handful of people that saw them. Many saw them. There's too many. 
<laughs> I didn't intend it that way. There's two minis. There's two number two minis. But there's too many. We can't. What are we going to do about it now? The whole world is going after him. They're everywhere. The graves are split open. And when were they split open? After his resurrection. After his resurrection. Look at that. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. These graves may have been laying open the whole time he was in the tomb. Because it appears in the language that they split at the crucifixion. Oh, Granny's grave is open. Here comes Granny. After he rose, many rose. And what did they do? They went into the city. And they appeared to many. And my friend, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I shall rise and go into the city. Mm-hmm. Not the earthly Jerusalem that these went into. I will go into the heavenly Jerusalem. To the new and final temple. Where I shall worship God forever. Oh my friend, the graves are rent open. And my grave is rent open. My father's grave is rent open. For we put him in the dust in 1991. But he won't be there forever. Hallelujah. The graves were rent. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things of God, on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, when he rose from the dead, we find here in Matthew 27, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, when he comes out again, when he's seen again, then shall ye also appear with him in glory, seen of many, appear. I will go into the new Jerusalem. But there's more than just the veil that was rent and the rocks that were rent and the graves that were rent. We find some hearts that were rent. And this is glorious. Look at verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I would have you notice, first of all, that all of the Roman soldiers feared greatly. That's what it says. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, the others that had put Christ to death, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this man was the Son of God. I believe that it was only the centurion that truly believed here. But it would appear that the whole bunch of them were shaken. And I believe that the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests that were there, those that had moments before been saying, let's see if Elias is going to come and help him out here. I believe they were all shaking and quaking. They were all fearful. But that statement, truly this man was the son of God, is vital 
And uh, Brother Vince mentioned in Sunday School this morning the attempts of the false texts to try to remove the deity of Christ. Uh, there are some that claim that, that, that this is wrong in our Bible. It should be truly this man was a son of God. <laughs> was a son of God. And you'll find some liberals today that will say, well, the, the centurion was speaking in the Roman sense that anyone who is mighty or anyone who is wise, oh, he's a son of God. Uh, and the Romans would have seen many sons. No, this man said, truly, this man was the son of God. You see, he was the man in charge. He was the one that Pilate told to go crucify him. And why was Pilate telling him to crucify him? Because this man is standing there, and over top of his cross is a sign that the Jews don't like. Because it says this is Jesus, King of the Jews. <laughs> and you see the Jews only had one king at that time, the son of David, the Messiah. And so this centurion, who probably didn't nail the nails himself because he was the one in charge, but who told the, one, the hundred under him, drive the nails place the sign, he may well have been under conviction the whole time. This is an innocent man. Should we be doing this? Because you see, prior to this crucifixion, Pilate's wife has come to Pilate and said, don't do this. I've suffered many things. He's a just man. And Pilate himself has said, I find no fault in him. And Herod has said, nothing worthy of death is in him. And even Judas, who betrayed him, said, I betrayed innocent blood. And so this centurion, from multiple angles, has heard those reports. And it's written on the very cross. And I wonder maybe if he, the whole time, has been saying this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. And so, when he witnesses this one, you see the centurion has participated in many deaths as well. And the centurion is amazed that he's already dead. The centurion has heard the loud cry and then witnessed him giving up the ghost. And now there's the earthquake and the rocks are rending. And this centurion chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world is brought to the end of himself. His uniform needs not, means nothing. His authority means nothing. His life means nothing. His reputation means nothing. Truly, surely, verily, this was the Son of God. His heart was rent. His heart was ripped open by the death of Christ. <clears throat> Has your heart been rent by the death of Christ? Has your heart been ripped open? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? And my friend, the centurion wasn't the only one because there was two, two thieves. One mocked. The other one said, this man hath done nothing amiss. Remember me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. My friend, some hearts were rent that day. And oh, as we consider the cross of Jesus Christ, may our hearts be rent. May your heart be rent this day. Therefore now, saith the Lord, turn ye even unto me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And repenteth him of the evil. The sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. But then finally, in this glorious account, we find that the tomb was rent. And in my, my notes, I had the tomb slash death was rent. It was torn open. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake to you when he was yet in Galilee. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to death, brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The grave was rent open. And in Jamaica... Probably a hundred times I stood beside a grave, and in Jamaica I mentioned the one tomb had been robbed and the the lead coffins taken out. In Jamaica they pour concrete over top the grave, and they do it while everybody's still standing there uh, so grave robbers can't get in. And at the death of a believer they sing hymns and songs around the grave while the guys are mixing the cement and, and finishing off. And one of my favorites was an old one that goes, no grave, no grave can hold my body down. No grave, no grave can hold my body down. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise, no grave, no grave can hold my body down. The graves were rent. <clears throat> Dear friends, may we rend our hearts and not our garments. For all things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let us stand for prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we thank you that the veil was rent from top to bottom. The veil did not keep God in, it kept us out. But now, because Christ's flesh his earthly veil was rent, we are bidden to come boldly to the throne of grace. Lord, we stand in wonder that the rocks obey thee when man will not. Father, we thank you 
that the hearts of men are rent by the truth of God. We thank you, Lord, that the grave is rent on our behalf. And so, Father, may we, your people, rejoice in so great salvation. May we live as the children of God. May we walk in the pathway of light. We pray these things in Jesus' name.